And welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are the disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples. Jesus, because I'm Pastor Aaron, and I got a pop quiz for you today. See how you were listening our last message. Uh, who is good? God is good, right? Not because he's in the light, but because he is the light. Now, bonus question there. Who's loved? You're loved. Isn't that fantastic? That this good God loves you, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life, that God loves you. And so therefore, who has hope? We have hope. Because our God is good and he loves us. And we're going to talk today about that hope, why we have that, especially in a very broken and dark world. Of course, this is our, our fourth uh, sermon that's in our series that's uh, been going through the book of Revelation. So far, we've seen that uh, we talked about God has revealed himself in there in his location, that he is the son of man, that he was located amongst the seven golden lampstands and had the seven stars in his hands. We, we talked about there how God is present, and he's aware, and he's engaged in our lives. We talked about uh, his, his appearance, his, his clothing, and his dress the week before that, that he's the God who shows up in white and gold. Right? He's the God of purity. He is the God of righteous authority. Last week, and then actually this week, the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about the attributes of Jesus. Really, how Jesus, uh, he reveals himself in his very own person as he shows up in Revelation. And those things give us great hope, and it reminds us of our memory verse, hopefully, because uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This same God that revealed himself to John is the same God that is on the throne today, and he's the one that's coming back. So, just as uh, before we start, let's remind ourselves of this verse, then we'll get into the rest of the message. You know how it goes, so say it along with me. Three, two, one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. All right, again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. And last time to test. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. So crucial we cling to that. Because oftentimes in our life, we feel that maybe, you've heard people say this, I wish I was in the Bible times and we saw God's miracles and he showed up in these specific ways or there was a God of justice back then, but today he seems like he's absent. Now, Jesus Christ is the same. And how he showed up to John is how he shows up in our world and how he's going to return. So let's go to it. How does he show up? Well, you remember, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, hopefully by the end of the service uh, series, you're going to have a lot of notes there. Right at the beginning of this. And we begin in verse 9, the vision that John has on the island of Patmos as he's there. This apocalyptic vision of prophecy. And he begins seeing this. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and a patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll that which you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And as I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Before we go any further, today's verse, notice why John was there. He was on the island of Patmos because he was being persecuted and punished. He said he was in there with the patient endurance that is ours that are in the kingdom. That oftentimes we suffer in this world. 
He wasn't immune from it, even though he was an apostle. He was there at the time suffering. And he has a message for those in a broken world who suffer injustice. And Jesus then shows up in that next verse to answer that. And he says, his hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. And those are the two attributes we're going to look at today. Why is it that Jesus shows up with hair white like wool and eyes blazing in fire? Well, let's start that first one. He has hair like wool, right? And, and last week we talked about the color white and why that was important, right? This purity, right? It's righteousness. It's all of those things. But the hair white like wool actually has an additional significance, See, when Jesus shows up with hair white like wool like this, he's actually, he's shown up before in history that very same way. He showed up to a different prophet uh, six centuries earlier, the prophet Daniel, who had this vision of heaven. And Daniel writes about this and says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool, the throne of uh, his throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels, his wheels were all ablaze. Now, the God who's described in Daniel sounds a lot like the God that shows up here. I don't think that was by accident. Jesus shows up to say, I am this same guy. Who is he? The Ancient of Days. This is who he is. The hair on his head is, is really the issue that the color is more the issue than the texture. It's not that his hair was, was bushy like wool. It was white like wool. And something that we can attest to as we grow older is that we gain what's called a crown of glory, at least many of us do, as we go through life. Our hair turns silver or white, right? It shows a sign of age, shows a sign of wisdom. And here Jesus shows up to be the one who is the ancient of days, the one who has been around since before the beginning. He is the eternal God. In Colossians, Paul actually re reveals this great mystery to us through the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. He says, the Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. We find this, what a powerful truth. We saw the beginning of John, where, where the apostle who writes this gospel there says that, that Jesus was with God in the beginning and is God. This amazing, profound mystery that the Son is God. Then when Jesus shows up, our Savior is not a prophet. Our Savior isn't some guy that's close to the divine who's had some type of, of heightening of the spirit or something like this, that he was a man just like us and somehow became something better. He was first before man. He's God. And before Jesus came, he already existed, which is why John the Baptist said that he surpasses me because he was before me. That Jesus' ministry and his life existed far before he came as a man. And yet Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as the eternal God, we find that the Son is not just God. He is creator. In him, all things are created. Now, Jesus is the one who made the very world that rebelled against him. He made the very people 
who destroyed him. And he didn't just create the physical world. He created all of the, like, the powers and all of the rulers and all of the authorities as well. That he is the architect of history itself. The history that would lead to his own demise. Which is mind-boggling. And yet he was, reveals his great brilliance. And here's a thing that I find even more amazing, that as God, he's not just the architect of history, he is the one who holds everything together, yesterday, today, and forever, which is a great evidence that God is still on his throne, because as chaotic as the world may seem, we're still kind of pulled it together a little bit. Man, you're all still here, right? Now you're fed, you're breathing, the sun still comes up and goes down every single day, right? There are seasons, there's all those things that God's provisions and his promises still come true. God's still on his throne. This is a great peace for us. When Jesus shows up in this way, it was a reminder to John, even though he was suffering at the hands of injustice on an island of Patmos, while he was the last living apostle, not doing the most productive things, I imagine he would think in his own mind. He would want to be with the churches. He was separated from them, and God shows up and says, hey, guess what, John? I'm already there. I'm the God of history, and I'm the God of the future, and I'm holding it all together. It's not on your shoulders, John. It's okay. And he writes this to the churches as well. Our God is the eternal God. We look at our world and our country and all these things in our society. Do you ever feel like, man, it's all going to fall apart. My God is still on the throne, and he's still holding things together, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Peace, my brothers and sisters. We have a powerful God and a legitimate Savior who is present. He is aware. But he's not just here. He's just not just holding all things together through history. He has seen everything, everything in the past, everything it is, and he knows what's going to come, and he shows up with fire in his eyes. Now, when I was first a Christian and I read this, this terrified me, because in our culture, when someone has fire in their eyes, it means that they have vengeance, right? They show up and you're like, oh, he's got fire in his eyes. And that was said to me a lot, because when I was a young person, before I met Jesus, and even whilst I was still younger in my faith, I had an issue with vengeance and anger. And I would get fire in my eyes, and, and my people would say, like, you really got fire in your eyes, Aaron, and that didn't like that. Jesus, when he shows up with fire in his eyes, he's not talking about vengeance. That's, that's not the picture. Fortunately, that's just a modern-day uh, saying or colloquialism. When Jesus shows up with fire in his eyes, there's something far more powerful that that's telling us. In, in uh, Revelation 1.14, if you go there, it says that, that he has his hair white like wool, the ancient of days, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Not rage, but again, it's a callback to another vision that was uh, given of Jesus. When he showed up another time to the prophet Daniel, he reveals himself in just this same way. In fact, it's the 10th chapter of Daniel, right before Jesus shows up and he gives Daniel the prophecy of the four beasts, how the end of the world is like all the major empires that were going to be wicked and awful how they were going to live, how they were going to grow, and how eventually they would meet their demise. This is how Jesus shows up to give Daniel that prophecy. It says here, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen. Hmm. He did that in our passage. He had a belt of fine gold of Uphaz around his waist, wearing white and gold. Look at that. 
and his body was like topaz. His face was like lightning. This is kind of like our description here. And guess what? His eyes were like flaming torches, and his arms and legs gleamed with burnished bronze, and his voice was like the sound of a multitude. Does that sound like Jesus as he shows up in Revelation? Oh, yeah. What do you think Jesus is telling John as he shows up this way? What do you think he's telling the church? This is the Ancient of Days who reveals himself, who shows up. And notice like here, when he showed up that first time, yeah, he's got the white uh, linen on, but he's got a golden belt. Remember we talked about the difference between a belt and a sash? The belt was for warriors. The belt was for workers. And when Jesus shows up at that time, he shows up in warfare. He goes up and there's this prince of Persia that's, uh, or this power in Persia or whatever was resisting him. And, and Michael, the archangel, has got to come to his defense, right? And, and they come together and he tells them this. The age of this world, the age of empires will have its day, but the age of empires will end and the kingdom is coming. That he's going to be, he's going to overcome it all. He shows up first as a warrior, but now he shows up again as a conquering king. With king of kings and lord of lords written across his golden sash. How awesome is this? But he has fire in his eyes. What is this? Well, we find it again in Revelation 19, another time where it reveals that Jesus has fire in his eyes, and this gives us a clue as to what this means. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war, and his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one uh, knows but himself. This is right before the end of it all. When Jesus shows up on his white horse, right? He's going to put an end to wickedness once and for all. This is how he shows up. Again, with fire in his eyes. Now, we see a couple things that he shows up as. The first one is that uh, he is faithful. In other words, his acts are pure. Right? He does everything that is right. He shows up and he is true, which also means that that he himself is pure, right? He is absolutely true. There's no falsehood in him. In him is no darkness. He is absolutely pure. So the one who shows up that has purified acts, who, work, who acts purely, who is himself pure, now comes to purify the world. And that is what fire does in Scripture, is it brings purification, right? The God of eternity is about to purify this world. He's going to do it through justice, and that's what you see. How does he purify? He's going to bring justice, and he's going to judge it, and that is how it's going to happen. He sees the impure things, and he basically burns them away. And the fact is that he doesn't just do that, right? He's got fire in his eyes, which means that how he perceives the world is absolutely pure. It's the way it actually is that no one's pulling anything over on Jesus. And the devil may be a good liar, and we might be good scoundrels and connivers and all those types of things, but no one's tricking God. He sees it as it truly is. His vision is purified. So fire is purifying judgment. We see that in Scripture. It is whatever is purifying. Uh, Laodicea was set counsel to what? Buy gold that was purified through the flames so it would actually be pure and valuable. That's how it works. Um, it tells us in 1 Corinthians that our works in this world will be tried as though by fire and only those things that were done, a pure motive will pass at the test, right? And they'll be like gold, but everything else will get burned up like straw, 
right? So that's how the saints are said, we ourselves are purified as though going through fire. In First Peter, it says that very same things, that, that we consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever we face trials of many kinds, right? Because we know that uh, our suffering is producing a endurance. We let endurance finish its work so we may be, uh, we may be mature and complete and not lacking anything, right? That God tests us and tries us through fire as through fire. And we even think at the end of the age, what does God do with all of the wicked and all of the impure? Sends them to the eternal lake of fire. Even hell itself is thrown there. Fire is purifying in scripture. In Hebrews 12, 29, we, we read here that, no, no, that God is a consuming fire. This is who he is. Our God himself is absolutely pure and he is purifying. We can't be in his presence and remain uh, impure, wicked, broken. That he has come to purify this world. That all of the injustice and the corruption and the awful things that we see can't last forever. And the very nature of God in and of himself is to undo the brokenness, is to take away the dross. It is to, to purify this world. Jesus does this. And his eyes are purified. His vision begins that way, which is important for us. Because sometimes the greatest injustices happen in this world is when a judge, a righteous judge, is fooled. You get a really good lawyer or something like that, and you can trick justice. And we'd like to say in our culture that justice is blind, but justice is met up by humans. And even right-minging people can see the world not as it truly is, and they wield great authority and power, and sometimes their great power is used in a not great way just because they didn't see the world as it is. But Jesus isn't that way. He's the Ancient of Days. He's seen it like it was in the past. He's seen how it is now. He sees the future for what it is. He knows exactly who we are and why we're the way that we are. There's no fooling him. He comes to bring justice and righteousness. He comes to purify the world, but first, he comes to purify his church. Which leads me to his letter that he writes to Smyrna. These are the words of the God who showed up to this church. It's the second church in the list. It, it's shown right there. It's Smyrna. It's just north of Ephesus. And Ephesus was the center of a cult imperial cult worship it had a seventh wonder of the world a temple there to a goddess and and all of this and right north of that smyrna was also a religious center it was a center of a, a imperial cult worship which means people would have to go and worship the emperor in order to live right that's part of roman law and the jewish community got an exemption from that because the jewish law the very first couple commandments are like don't worship anybody else and so to keep some level of peace if you were jewish and you were part of the culture you got an exemption and you wouldn't have to and you would think as a jewish community if you really believe that there is one true god even if somebody isn't jewish you would want them to not worship false gods because you know that god is the one true god and he's worthy of all of our worship you wouldn't want people to go into idolatry that would be like a us wanting people to murder other people or to lie or to steal. Right? Even if they're not Christians, we don't want people to murder or lie or steal. And you would think this Jewish community would, would do everything they could to make sure and to help the populace not worship false gods. But in Smyrna, that's not what happened. 
This synagogue had people who were there who didn't have fire in their eyes. They didn't see things the way that they were. They had an impure view of God and his Messiah. And so what did they do? Is they used their authority and this exemption that they had as a weapon against the church. And if any of their members, any Jewish person in their community, would follow their Messiah, this, the, the Jewish people in the, the, the synagogues there would turn them into the Roman authorities, forcing those Christians now to publicly worship the emperor. And if they didn't do that, they would lose their homes, they would lose access to the marketplace, they would lose their businesses, they would oftentimes lose their families and even their lives. And this church, who was growing in Smyrna, lived under a dual persecution, one from the government and one from the religious side. And so Jesus writes them a letter. And he says this, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life again. He is the ancient of days. He's the first and last. He's the creator of all things. This is who he is. And guess what? He's the one who faced wrong persecution to the point of death. He faced the worst corruption the world could offer. And guess what? He's alive again. Like, what you going to take against me now? And he has a letter and a message for the church facing injustice. A church that feels powerless. He shows up now with fire in his eyes and he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. God is not unaware of the sufferings that we face in this world. Yet he sees things as they truly are. For those of us who suffer in this world, we may think we are poor. We may think we are outcast. We may think we have been uh, canceled by culture. But Jesus says, I see how they are. You're actually really rich. And he says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There are institutions out there that lift themselves up to be holy and righteous and experts, and they know God and all these things, but no one's fooling God. And you can be condemned by those who claim that they have some kind of divine right or inspiration, but only God has the right to be able to judge. And he knows his people. And so he says, no one's fooling me. He says, you're rich. And you say, Aaron, how could you say you're rich? Well, Jesus told us right in the very beginning of his ministry when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. Look how he starts. Blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Understand, in this world, Christian, just like the pagan, we're going to face injustice because people and the devil are in charge of this world. It's going to be unjust. Know this, the God of justice didn't disappear. And he sees those things. And there is a reward for us if we're faithful in the midst of it. And so when he says we're rich, it's not just like, just kind of like saying, oh, you're just spiritually rich. Understand, heaven is real and it is coming. And the spiritual wealth of heaven is not something that you're going to be like, oh, I don't care about once you get there. And notice how he says they will be rewarded. 
for those in this world that suffer, that are canceled by our culture because we dare to stand with Jesus in opposition to this world's faulty and, and, and crazy ways. He says, your reward is great. In fact, you're alongside the prophets. And that's where Smyrna was. They were legitimately canceled before cancel culture was a thing in our modern age. They were cast out of their businesses. No one would shop at their shops, right? They had their homes that were being vandalized. The government turned a blind eye to the injustices that happened to them. They were being beat up in the streets. They were being, you know, uh, taunted and tormented and, and ridiculed. And all kinds of horrible things were being said about them that were not true. Sound familiar? Because they dared to go against the standard system, the message that was out there, which in contradiction to God's ways, they were canceled. And Jesus says, but you haven't been canceled in my kingdom. You are actually very wealthy. And you are alongside the prophets. In Revelation 2.10, he tells them then, for this culture, he says, don't be afraid of, of what you're about to suffer. Right? I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. The first thing you understand is, is that, that, that we're not to be afraid. Do you know that the God of the universe is still in control now? He's still present. Our world may look awful. There may look like there's injustice abounding. But Jesus is still in control. He's a God of justice. He sees how things really are. Don't be afraid. Our king reigns. And he loves you. And we have hope. <laughs> but notice this. He says you're going to suffer for 10 days. Now remember, in Revelation, in apocalyptic writings, numbers have symbolic important meanings. The church of Smyrna didn't just suffer for 10 literal days. 10 was a number of completion. And this is an important thing. That Jesus shows up and he says, the devil is going to torment you. And you're going to suffer for the the, the total number, the complete amount, he, God is not going to mitigate their wickedness against them. There's going to be an unmitigated suffering at the hands of, wick, uh, of wicked people. He's not intervening. You're going to suffer for 10 days. God allows wicked people and the enemy to have his day. There's a greater purpose to that, and we'll have to suffer. But know this, it's limited. It's just 10 days. No matter how much we suffer in this life, it's going to end. Even if it's to the point of death, no one can tor torment you beyond that. And that's the absolute worst. He said, just some of you, most of us, praise God, don't get that. And get this, you might have 10 days of persecution in this life, but you get a thousand years of righteousness, which I think is a much better. In fact, it even points to, I think that thousand years even points on beyond that, it says eternal. So... It's here, and God allows wickedness to have its day. And yes, we will suffer at the hands. Sometimes unjust people gain power in this world. Who would have thought that money and power could be misused by people who want to do bad things with it? He allows it to happen because we hijacked this world. Don't be afraid. Ten days. Ten days. We can endure. Be faithful. That's why he says be faithful. Right? Because the reward is worth it. He'll give you a crown of life as your victor's crown. You may seem cast out today that you don't get your, your day in justice. Maybe you hunger and thirst for righteousness right now because you have been deprived of it. But blessed are you because you will have it in your full. The king of glory is a God of justice. And he's not absent. 
And so it says in 2 Corinthians, our light and momentary troubles are achieving in us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. Ten days. But what is unseen is eternal. Don't lose heart. God is not weak. He's not losing. He's the master chess player. I like playing chess. I hate losing, which is why I don't play it very often. But I love playing. It's a brilliant game. And some of the best chess masters, if you watch them, they trick their opponents into thinking that they're, they're winning. Right? They trick them. And then it looks like they're losing, and all of a sudden, boom, they come in with the winning move. And it just astounds everyone. This is Jesus. He already did it once on the cross. Don't you think the devil was a little flabbergasted on the third day? Like, how did that happen? This is our God. We're with him. Just be faithful. But notice this. So we have something we can do. Fix your eyes, not on your current situation. That's really hard for us. Know that the things that we go through today are hard and difficult, yes. But in light of what's coming, they're light and momentary. And this letter was written to people that were being executed and having their families taken from them, their businesses, and, and everything. If we look at this world, we get filled with panic and fear. We're like Peter when he steps out of the boat and starts looking at the water and then sinks. We've got to fix our eyes on the absolute truth. This world is a vapor. Even if you live here 80, 90 years, 103 years, vapor. It goes like a snap, but eternity is coming. We fix our eyes on the king of glory, the ancient of days, who has never left, who has never stopped being God. And we know that when he comes back, justice has finally and fully served, and we will see it with our own eyes. And get this, the reward is so much greater than the pain. That's the message for Smyrna. He didn't say, hey, guys, I got a message for you. See all those meanies that are throwing you into prison and doing all that bad stuff? I'm going to come down and crush them. I'm going to bring my, my servant down there in righteousness, and he's going to show them in the entire world how bad and awful they are, and they're going to be humiliated and cast out. That's not what he said. He says, I'm going to give them their 10 days, but I'm going to give you a crown of life that lasts forever. So just be faithful. God is at work within you, brothers and sisters. He is a good God, and he loves you. Remember that. Because ours is a God... Of, of wool and fire. He is a God of righteousness. He is a God of eternity. He is a God that holds everything together. And because of who he is, we have real hope. Hope. So how do you apply that? How do you live in that hope with this God who is around us? I, I, I got some next steps for you, applying those things that, that Jesus tells the church of Smyrna that we're supposed to do. Because I think you'll find that many times in our life, in our current culture, it's kind of like Smyrna, right? I hear stories a lot, even from you, you know, how trying to stand up and for your faith or just be kind about your faith and how oftentimes you get canceled and criticized and, and also just in this world because you're a human being in a broken culture, there's injustice that abounds. Where do you find hope? How do you live in this hope now, just like Smyrna? On the back of your connection card, that green card, are four steps that I'm going to challenge you to take, things that can help you. The first one is to memorize Hebrews 13.8. You need to remember and memorize and meditate. Think about this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You can't keep your eyes on what's coming next if you forget who Jesus is. He's the God of wool and fire, guys. Remember this. The second thing. Would you read the letter to Smyrna? 
That's in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. It's not very long. It's like three or four verses, but can you read that? Spend some time thinking about it. Third thing I want to challenge us to do, maybe right now you are struggling. The brokenness of this world, maybe it's an injustice, maybe it is a, a level of persecution, whatever it is, to patiently endure. God hasn't forgotten you. He says the things that you are suffering now are resulting in you a greater glory. So just be patient. God is doing work within you. So don't try to hurry his hand. Don't try to figure out the magic thing to make the fire stop. He's purifying you right now. For you, it's to be patient and endure. Turn your eyes back to Jesus and say, Lord, whatever it is you have for me, I want to be willing. Give me the strength to endure as I trust in you. Patiently endure. The other thing you may want to do is encourage one another. This scripture over and over and over again tells Christians that we need to encourage each other. That's not their no you know absent this world can be hard and we need to remind each other of this truth that our god is real that today isn't forever that the ultimately darkness is overcome by light that righteousness will overcome all of the corruption that the good god of all reward will make up for all of these difficult things we need to encourage each other not just once in a while from a pulpit but from each other regularly so i'm a challenge if you say i'm going to do this i'm going to encourage one another what i'd like you to do is today talk to God a little bit and say, Lord, who's somebody that, that needs encouragement? Who's somebody that's going through a difficult time? And then, and then when he tells you, because you're asking him, he needs to tell you, then call them up this week or write them a card or an email or a text, right? However you're going to get to them, let them know they're loved, encourage them to stay the course that God loves them. Today's not, that's not it. It's a way that we begin to apply the truth of Scripture so that we can make sure that that we are all together staying the course. Don't be afraid. Just be faithful. Right? Hopefully that's given you time to make a commitment on the back of that connection card. Please let me know how else I can be praying for you. Because the God of eternity is with us and he likes to listen to us. Let me pray for you this week. In just a moment, we'll be taking our, our collection, our offerings. Please paste your connection cards in that offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts. Make this a first step into that faithfulness, that, that patient endurance that you have in Christ, saying, Lord, I'm trusting you, all right? May me pray a blessing over you as you make your commitments, and then we'll have our time of offering. Let's pray. Father God, you are good, not because you do good things, or because you are simply good. You are the light that shines and radiates righteousness in this world, and we welcome you here into this place and into our lives to do away with the darkness that's, that still uh, lingers like shadows amongst us. We're so grateful to know that you ultimately and will finally and completely obliterate all the dark things. All of the brokenness will be burned away. But as we wait for that, Father, we're grateful for your grace and your kindness and your love and your mercy. That while we were still your enemies, you still came for us. That you love us that much. And not just us, but even this world that we're in. So, Father God, I pray for this congregation as your people, as we patiently endure, as we wait for you to return. May you build faithfulness in us. May you purify us. May we encourage one another in the process, knowing that today is not forever, that 10 days only last so long, but your kingdom is coming. So help us to keep our eyes fixed on that. Lord, I pray that these commitments we make today will help us draw closer to that so we can keep your word not to be afraid in this time, but instead to be bold and to be joyful knowing that your return is near, the fact that you are already amongst us. We pray all of this in the powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.